All Souls Church, how you doing? Pastor Harvey here. Uh, if you're visiting our church online and just kind of looking into who we are, uh, we're really a church that goes through books of the Bible most of the time, and we're really centered on the Word of God. Occasionally we might do some topical series, but we tend to go through books of the Bible. We'd love to have you join us uh, in, here in Burbank, and we meet at 10 a.m. And we are going through a book of the Bible now called Genesis, the, be- the beginning of the Bible. And uh, we're in the middle of a series called Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which looks at uh, the patriarchs of our faith, the people of faith that we trace our faith all the way back to. And today we're going to be looking at Jacob's journey. So uh, let's go ahead and we're going to read a part of this passage and then we're going to move through it. Uh, Today uh, my task is to cover two chapters. But the, the, the deal is it's one story in three parts, and so we should be able to do it. But we're going to just kind of move through a lot of the Bible, and, um, and then I'm going to tell you the story, and we're going to talk about how it applies to our life and how it points to Jesus. So with that, <clears throat> let's go ahead and read Genesis chapter 29. We're going to read uh, verses 1 through uh, 12. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. For she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban's mother's, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that it was her father that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son and she ran and told her father this is the word of the lord thanks be to god let's pray <clears throat> holy father we uh, open our minds and our hearts to your word now we pray that god you would come to us in your word come to us by the power of your spirit Reveal yourself to us, not just that we would gain new knowledge and instruction, but that we would experience you as we go through this text and look at Jacob's life and see how it uh, mirrors our lives, but ultimately how it brings about your salvation through Christ. And so, Lord, help me to teach uh, with accuracy and clarity and humility. Fill me with the power of the Spirit. And I pray for everybody listening that they would be filled with the power of your Spirit that they would have ears to hear and eyes to see the beauty of your gospel. So we pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, 
I don't know about you, but um, I get tired in this weary world. Weary world. Um, and I'm sure you do too, you know. Uh, the heartbreak, uh, the violence in the world, the corruption inside of us and the corruption all around us. Uh, misunderstandings, unhealthy people, adversaries, friends that betray you and slander you, family that lectures you, problems with work, problems with marriage, problems with kids, sickness, greed, lies, half-truths, misinformation, conspiracy theories, false narratives, and to top it all off, we all have our own issues. Um, it can be exhausting living in this worry world. And, and it can be, there's a temptation to just want to be done with it, to, to, to give up. Uh, sometimes it's hard, actually, to find the strength to go on. There are certain days, I'm sure you have experienced this, where it's just kind of like, man, is this how it's going to be? Uh, this is brutal. Um, and sometimes, because of that, we want to throw in the towel and, and just be done with it all. So, obviously, that's not an option. We got to keep moving forward. We got to keep living. And so we grin and bear it and, you know, we fake it till we make it. And, um, and we're carrying the weight of living in this broken and fallen world. And it sometimes it can even feel like uh, there's chaos or that we're alone or that, you know, God doesn't care or that, you know, uh, yeah, it could just be exhausting. Now, I know that some of you are not in that point in your life, but you have been and you probably will be. And, you know, all of us to some degree are feeling the weary uh, weight of this world. But there is another way. There's another way to deal with the suffering in this broken world. Um, God wants us to see that he's working through the brokenness. Uh, but he, we also have to see that he doesn't remove us from it. He's working through it. He's blessing us through it. He's caring for us through it. But he doesn't remove us from the brokenness of this world. And in fact, Jesus himself, when he walked among us, he, he himself experienced the brokenness of this world. Uh, the cross tells us that not even Jesus was removed from the brokenness of this world. He had to take it on. He had to experience it. He had to feel it. Um, so here's what I want to say to you today. And I think it's, it, I hope that, that we can grasp this concept because if we can, it, it helps to make the suffering more bearable. It helps to give us hope that it won't always be this way. And it also helps us understand that, that all of our suffering and the trials and the problems and the weight of the world, it's not for nothing. Um, so here's what I want to say to you today. God comes to us disguised as our life. God comes to us disguised as our life. So you see, God is meeting you in your actual life. Uh, God is meeting you in the circumstances of your actual life. God is meeting you in the joy and in the pain. He's meeting you in the sadness and the brokenness, but he's also meeting you in the beauty of it all. So God comes to us. God is, is with us. And, and we often feel like, well, man, he's not here. He's not helping. He's not. But what you have to see is that God comes to you in your real life. God comes to you disguised as your life. And he works with you in that way. He does this in our actual life and circumstances. 
Um, so whatever you're experiencing, whatever you've gone through, whatever you're going through, whatever you will go through, God is coming to you in your actual life and circumstances. He's using what you love, what you stress about, your relationships, good or bad. He's using all of these things in the world that, that, that you're facing and dealing with, and he's coming to you through those actual things. He's coming to you in the midst of your story. And this is where your story intersects with his story. And so you have to understand that the suffering is not just arbitrary. The suffering is not uh, useless. Um, both the joys and the pains of, that we face in our life are all part of God coming to us in our life and, <clears throat> and ministering to us in our life. Uh, so if you can see things this way, then you can see that your life is a journey for His purposes and your joy. I love whatever, uh, what my uh, uh, mentor Rich Plass says. He, um, he, uh, he wrote several books. He's a very brilliant man. Um, he says this, whatever is, is the teacher. Whatever is, is the teacher. In other words, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're going through, this is in the midst of it, God is speaking to you. God is teaching you. And sometimes it can feel like everything is just arbitrary, but when we're in the hands of God, God is teaching us. He's talking to us. Whatever is, is the teacher. Well, this is true in Jacob's walk with God, as we're about to see. He had just begun uh, on the previous page his encounter with God. Now, he'd heard about God growing up, and he uh, maybe even gave some lift service to God at some point in his life. But even when he was talking to his father, he said, the Lord, your God. He, wasn't, he didn't claim him as his own. But on the previous page that we looked at last week, God comes to him. God appears to him in a dream. And God shows him this ladder, the stairway between heaven and earth. And God says, I will come to you in your life. And I'm going to come to you and I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to keep you. I'm going to make my face shine upon you. I'm going to fulfill my promises to the world through you. I made a promise to your grandfather Abraham. I reinstated that promise to your father Isaac. And now I'm reinstating that promise to you. That through this family line that starts with Abraham, I'm going to bring salvation to the world. I'm going to bring uh, about uh, the, the Jewish nation and the 12 tribes of the Jewish nation. And from the one tribe, Judah, I'm going to bring forth Jesus the Messiah. And through Jesus the Messiah, the gospel will be proclaimed to the whole world. And the whole world, uh, everywhere around the world, will be reconciled to God. Now, Jacob, in his life, had no idea in some of these sufferings that that is part of God's purposes. That God was coming to him in his actual life, but not just him, but coming to all of us through the plan and story of Jacob. But we also saw last week that, you know, in the beginning of his journey, he kind of had an if faith. If you do these things for me, then you will be my God. And so he had an if faith that was about self-preservation and selfishness. Um, and so right now, Jacob is on this journey. He's going to find a wife and he's going to be gone for 20 years. His mom said, yeah, you're just going to be gone for a few days and then you'll come back with your wife. But he's gone for 20 years. He couldn't have known that was the way that it was going to go. And I'm sure he was very frustrated and irritated and impatient about all of that. But God is going to shape him from a conniving, lying, trickster, mama's boy to a man of patience, reasonableness, ingenuity, and hard work. In other words, God is going to make him into a man of God 
through this 20-year journey that begins with this encounter that he has with this dream, that through this 20-year journey, he has the layers of evil and flesh peeled off of him, and so he learns to walk with God and trust him. Well, we just read the, the, the first part of the story, and I want you to see in verse 1, it says, Then Jacob went on his journey, and this is the journey to go and find his wife, and he came to the land of the people of the east. So this, this is his, his um, mother's relatives, that he's going to go and find a wife among his mother's relatives, partly because uh, it seems that some of them uh, believed in the true God, and they were not nearly as corrupt as the people that were around them, the Philistines that were in the land. But, so he had to journey 550 miles to go and find his wife. <clears throat> and it says this, verse 2, As he looked and he saw a well in the field, behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of the well the flocks were watered, and the stone of the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well. So he comes to this place where the, the flocks are watered, and he sees these, these men there. And he says, uh, do you guys know Laban? And they said, oh, yeah, we know Laban. And he says, well, is, how's he doing? Is he, is he good? Oh, yeah, he's, he, he's doing great. And, and then they look up and say, in fact, uh, not only do we know Laban, but look, there's his daughter, Rachel. She's coming with the flocks. She's coming to water uh, the flocks. And, and, of course, he sees Rachel from afar, and he is immediately entranced. He's, he, you know, if there could be love at first sight, that seems to be what happens here, and I, I think there can be love at first sight. He, he, he sees her, and he immediately loves her. He's been on this journey, remember, for 550 miles, going to find his wife, and when he sees her, he says, that, that's the woman, that's, that's the one, that's the one that I, that I wanna be with. So. Uh, look at verse 7. He, he said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered. Um, and then verse 9, While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came out with the father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And listen to this. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So I love this. He sees her coming. She's coming to water the flocks. And he sees her and he's entranced. So what does he do? He goes over to the well and he rolls the stone away from the well. He's kind of like, oh, hey, hey girl, I got this. Let, uh, let me just move this stone for you. Look how strong I am. And he's kind of like, you know, he's showing it up. And it doesn't tell us this, but it does seem like there's a, a, quite a period of time. As the, the flocks are, are drinking the water from the well, uh, there's, there's a, quite a period of time where he's there talking with Rachel. And we don't know how long, maybe a couple of hours. But as they begin to talk, they fall in love. Uh, certainly Jacob falls in love with her. And it leads to this moment where they share a kiss. Look at this, verse 11. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. He kissed her because the, he says, this is my wife. Uh, I, I, I came on this journey and, and God said he was going to bless me. And here I am and here she is. And uh, he thinks, this is it. You know, like my wife is here. I, and, he, and whatever happens in that moment, it leads to the place where they share a kiss and then Jacob weeps. He weeps aloud because he's found his wife 
And not only has he found his wife, but he's connecting the dots that, that he's, he's part of this family line that's going to bring salvation to the world, going to bring the Messiah to the world. And this is the woman that he's going to share life with to, to bring all of that about. Verse 12, And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and she told her father. And so she runs home. Dad, uh, he, this, this man has come. He's looking for a wife. I talked with him. I really like him. Uh, I, you know, she, I don't know if she shared the fact that they shared a kiss. Probably not. But at the same time, she, she is also falling in love with Jacob as well. Verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him, embraced him, and kissed him, and brought him to his house. And Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. All right, now look at verse 15. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? So, you know, he had stayed there a month, Jacob had, but as he's there, he, he joins in. Uh, you know, he came from a shepherding family. He knows how to take care of sheep and do shepherding. And, and he's learned a lot of things from Abraham and his father, Isaac. And they've been, uh, as we saw in earlier chapters, they were very successful at shepherding. And so Jacob comes and he starts pitching in and Laban can see that Jacob is adding value to his business. Um, and, uh, so um, he says, you don't have to serve me for nothing. What shall your wages be? Verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. This is the first time Leah comes in the story. We're going to see she's a very important part of the story here in just a minute. Um, verse 17. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. I told my wife, whose name is Rachel, uh, this week that this is uh, the last part of this verse has become one of my life verses. But Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. So you can flirt with your wife through the scriptures. Uh, okay, back to the story. Um, it says that Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. That's another way of saying Rachel was kind of homely. Uh, uh, sorry, Leah was kind of homely, but Rachel was very beautiful. He had fallen in love with Rachel, and he was not attracted uh, to Leah. And it says that she had soft eyes. Uh, apparently in the Middle East, a woman's eyes were a very important part of her, her beauty and attractiveness. There also might have been the fact that uh, they wore head coverings and some kind of veil, so the only thing you could often see is the eyes. And, uh, but somehow, he could see that Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance and that Leah uh, was not. And even the Bible says that that was actually true. So this isn't just like a misogynistic sort of thing to say. This is actually, it's just reality. Okay. Um, verse 18, Jacob loved Rachel. And he said, I will serve you, he says to the father Laban, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Okay, so... Uh, what should the wages be? Look, I'm willing to stay here for seven years and help you build your business if you will give me Rachel as my bride. I'm in love with her. Uh, you know, I want to uh, take her back home with me. And so I'm willing 
to do this. Now, the, he would have known that the custom was that, that, that first the older daughter had to be given in marriage before the younger daughter, uh, but he's, he's trying to work a deal. Like, if I serve you seven years, do you think we can make a compromise here and you will give me uh, Rachel as my wife? So verse 19, Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So, look at this. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him to be but a few days because of the love that he had for her. So he's in love with Rachel. She's in love with him. And he's glad to serve these seven years. I mean, think about it. Seven years? <laughs> I know that, you know, as I talk to many single people in our church, they, they are they're one of their main prayers. And it should be. This is good. It's good to get married. It's not good for man to be alone, as the scripture says. But is that, you know, to find a spouse. But can you imagine that you find your spouse and you have to work seven years uh, in order to marry them. Well, this is Jacob loved her so much he was willing to do this. Verse 21, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. He's a little blunt here. <laughs> He's like, I've done my seven years. I want to make love to my wife. Okay, uh, let's, let's make this thing happen. Verse 22, So Laban gathered together all the people in the place and made a great feast. So there's this great wedding feast. And back in these days, weddings were like a week-long celebration. And, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're having their celebration. And of course, you know, they're eating and they're drinking and it becomes night and it becomes very dark. And the, the women are often veiled. Um, so verse 23, but in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and he went into her. So here's what happens. At night, Jacob goes to the tent waiting for the father to deliver the bride to him. Uh, they do, but when she's delivered, she's probably veiled at some level. It's pitch dark. It's in the middle of the desert. They're inside of a tent. They don't have flashlights. Uh, there's probably not uh, you know, candles in the same way that we know them. It was pitch black inside of there. And so she, she comes into the tent and he ends up making love to Leah. Okay, uh, so Laban tricked Jacob. Instead of giving him the daughter that he had fallen in love with, uh, Laban wants to marry off his older daughter, who is a little bit not so good looking and is going to have a harder time getting married. And back in this, this time, it was very important for everybody to get married and have children. And so um, he tricked Jacob. Now, here's the thing. We've seen in the past that Jacob was a deceiver. But now the deceiver is being deceived. Verse 25. Look at this. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. He had put all his love and hope into Rachel. And he wakes up in the morning and looks over at the woman laying next to him. And it's not, he, he finds out that he made love not to the woman that he's in love with, but he made love to another woman that he was not seeking, was not attracted to, had no desire for. Brokenhearted, disoriented, probably angry. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. Listen to how the scripture says that. Behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, it's not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. 
Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So, so a couple of things are going on here. Laban knows that Jacob has made him very profitable with his knowledge of shepherding and, and uh, the, the things that he learned from his father. And he doesn't want to give Jacob up because he's making Laban very rich. He also wants to marry off his first daughter, so he tricks him into this. And now he says, okay, well, it's fine. Just serve another seven years. Just another seven years. And then I'll give you my other daughter for a life, a wife. So uh, verse 28, Jacob did so. I'm sure there was a lot more going on than that, and there was some words exchange. But finally, Jacob did so and completed her week, and Laban gave him to his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Verse 30, so Jacob went into Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. Now, verse 31. Now, before I get into verse 31, imagine, let's think about Leah for a second. Leah, the unloved wife. Leah, the one that knows that her husband actually loves her sister and not her. And imagine the rejection that she was feeling because of that. Not only, you know, is she, is she uh, not as pretty as the other girls and probably was rejected in so many ways throughout her life. Uh, not only does she know that her father tricked uh, her husband into marrying her and she probably feels the, the guilt of that and the shame of that, but she is unloved. She's not loved by her husband, and her husband loves her sister, and there's this sibling rivalry that's developing between her and her sister. So look at verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son and called his name Reuben, for she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. So it, it, it sounds like that Jacob had led his new wife Leah to faith in the true God, the Lord. And, and she says, the Lord has looked upon my affliction that I'm an unloved woman. And now that I have his child, maybe my husband will finally love me. She conceived again and bore a son and says, because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, his name will be called Levi. So she keeps hoping as she gives sons to her husband that she'll be loved by her husband. But it doesn't happen. And she's broken hearted. Now look at this. This is powerful right here. Verse 35. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time... I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah, and she ceased bearing. So she had given up. She had given up on trying to have kids to win her husband's approval. And instead, she starts to find her identity in God. And she says, you know what? Um, this time, I will praise the Lord. I know I'm probably not going to ever be loved by my husband like I want to be loved. But the Lord loves me. This time I will praise the Lord. And she called his name Judah. Now remember that name Judah because that's going to be very important at the end of this sermon. Now, what happens next? And we don't got time to go through all of it. But uh, Rachel, 
um, saw that she had bore Jacob no children. And she said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God who has withheld you from you, the fruit of your womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her that she may give birth on my behalf, even, even though, that I might have children through her. And so just like a situation that had happened before, instead of uh, having a child the, the way through marriage, she says, here's my servant Make love to her, and then whatever is hers is mine, and so that will be my child. And what ends up happening after this is there's a series of children born to both uh, to, to the servants of Rachel and Leah, and then finally uh, Rachel has children as well uh, through uh, some miraculous uh, things that happen. And, and what comes of all of this is they end up uh, bringing about the, these, these children that become the 12 tribes of Israel. So God is coming to Jacob in his real life. And God is using this circumstance that he is in where he has these two wives and he has these two servants and he's basically having sex with four women and the four women are bearing him children. So he's, you know, he's compromised his marriage. We see all the time that polygamy in the Bible never leads to flourishing. It always leads to stress. Uh, the God does not endorse polygamy, but we know at this time in history, people did this. This is before God had given his law and instruction on marriage. They should have known better because of what, the, what God said to Adam and Eve, but they didn't. But God used this whole circumstance to bring about the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? And the 12 tribes of Israel are going to build out the nation. So before it was happening one generation at a time, and now we have 12 children born, and the 12 children are kind of the 12 tribes of Israel, and we see that now the nation is growing, where the promise is starting to be fulfilled, that the, there's a multiplication in God's people, as God had promised that there would be. Uh, so in verse 25, as soon as Rachel had born jo Joseph, Jacob, born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, "Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. Give me my wives and my children, for I have served you that I may go, and for you know the service that I have given you." But Laban said to him, "If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you." Isn't this interesting? So he says, "Okay, I want. I've served you. I've been here twenty years." I'm ready to go back home. I need to go back home. I told my family I was going to be gone for a few days. It's been 20 years. And remember, they don't got phones. They don't got internet. They don't got any way to contact each other. They're 550 miles separation. They have no idea what has happened to Jacob. For all they know, he's dead. Uh, and he says, it's time for me to go back home. But uh, Laban's like, well, the Lord's blessing me because of you. I've even learned this through divination, which is uh, witchcraft. Um, Name your wages and I will give it. And Jacob said to him, You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock fared for me. For you had little before I came, and it has increased abundantly. And the Lord has blessed you wherever I turn. But now, when, when, I sh when shall I provide for my own household? He said, What shall I give you? And Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. 
Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So in other words, he says, I will take the worst of the flock. That will be my wages. I'll take the worst of the flock and, and then I'll, I'll go. This way he could leave with something to take care of his family. Uh, verse 33. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come back into my wages with you. Everyone that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lands, if found with me, it shall be counted stolen. Laban said, Good, let it be as you've said. But that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted, and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted, and every one that had white on it, and every lamb that was black, and put them in charge of his sons. So Laban uh, tries to trick Jacob. Well, Jacob, being a very good shepherd, knows a few tricks of his own. And he is able to take these um, poplar sticks and create this scenario where the flocks multiply. And we see that God blesses his business and blesses his flocks so that when he returns home, he's going to return home with wealth. Now, God had promised him. I'm going to take you to this land. I'm going to give you your wife. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to make my face shine upon you. I'm going to bless your business. I'm going to bless your life. I'm going to bless everything. And this is what we see happen. Through, through Jacob's deception earlier, he gets deceived. He goes through this 20-year process. And through this 20-year process, he learns and he grows and he becomes a man of God. Now, God had come to him disguised as his life. He didn't know during this seven year and then another seven year and then another six years, he didn't know that God was working. He just thought he, had, he, he was going through hell. He was probably impatient and frustrated and saying to God, what are you doing? Why haven't you blessed me? But now, we've, now that it's come full circle, he's going home with 12 sons, with his two wives, and with lots of wealth fulfilling the promise that God had given to him. And most importantly, God worked in his life. God came to him in his life and worked through him and made him into the man that God wanted him to be. Now, Genesis chapter 49. Jacob is on his deathbed. And he is giving his prophetic utterances uh, to his sons of what each of them will be in the future generations that are to come. And um, I want you to listen to when he gets to his son Judah. Remember when, uh, when Leah had Judah, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. Judah uh, becomes the, the, the promised one. Listen to Genesis 49 when, when God speaks through Jacob about who Judah will be. He says, Judah... Your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. So, in other words, uh, through Judah will come the praise of the world. And, then, and uh, the, the promise that was given to Adam and Eve that evil would be crushed would come through the son that would come through Judah eventually one day. We know him as Jesus Christ. It says, your father's sons will bow down to you. In other words... Through Judah will come the king that everybody will bow down to. It says, like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who, dress, who dares to rouse him? He's going to be the lion of Judah. He's going to be the one that, that rules, this, this one that is coming. It's going to come through you, Judah. The daughter of the unloved, or sorry, the son of the unloved woman. 
It says, the scepter will not depart from Judah. He will be a king, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he, until he to whom it belongs shall come and the obedience of the nation shall be his. In other words, this is what happens. Jesus gets the obedience of the nation. Finally, one day, every knee will bow to Jesus. It says that um, he will tether his donkey to a vine and his colt to be the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine and his robe in the blood of grapes. There would be uh, blood that would bring this redemption. The blood of grapes that would bring this redemption. The, the wine of his blood. And it says his eyes will be darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. His eyes will be darker than wine. He can see it all. He is powerful. And his teeth is whiter than milk is a metaphor for saying he will speak forth the truth. Now I want you to see this. Through all through Jacob's journey, this 20 years that he goes through, not only comes to bring blessing upon his life, but comes to bring blessing to the whole world because through him came these 12 tribes and one of the 12 tribes was the tribe of Judah and through Judah will come the savior of the world. God was coming to him in his life and not only coming to him in his life, but through Jacob's life, God was coming to us all. Because through Jacob's disobedience and stress and, and trial in this 20 years in the wilderness and the suffering that he went through, God used all of that, not only for Jacob's good, but for our good. Not only for Jacob's good, but to bring the Savior, Jesus Christ, into the world. And so know this. God is coming to you in your life. The suffering will not be wasted. God is working a plan that will bring your redemption. And God will work in this way for you because you are part of this promise that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you come to us in our life and you work through our life to bring about your purposes. Help us to know that your hand is working even when we can't see it. We pray this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace and peace. Thank you.